A beautiful, beloved pre-med student living in sunny New Mexico had no idea that accepting a date from a fellow classmate would be the beginning of her worst nightmare. He escalated from possessive control to verbal abuse to brazen acts of terror, all while she was told by police to come back when something happened. Her story is her legacy and has helped millions of people understand a crime that had only recently been recognized when it happened to her. This week's episode is The Stalking and Murder of Peggy Clinky, Part 1. Up uh, in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. It's an appropriate time for us to release this uh, series of episodes as it is Stalking Awareness Month in the United States. It is. I did not know that we had one. And I'm sure most people hearing this right now echo the same sentiment. It's long overdue because like you said in the intro, this is a crime that only recently really within the past few decades has even been recognized as a crime, but it is such an insidious and terrifying crime. And unless you've really experienced it, it's easy to be dismissive of it, but all too often law enforcement doesn't get involved until it's way too late. They say, like you said, come back when something happens and then something happens and that something is the person losing their life because no one stepped in or took them seriously before then. Yeah. And it's, you're right. Like not taking now stalking happens to men and women. We'll get into some statistics with our bonus episode that will air tomorrow that you all will hear us speaking, not only with Peggy's sister, Debbie, but also with Dana Flightman, who is with the stalking prevention awareness and resource center spark. And it ha- happens to both men and women, but oftentimes, I mean, it's significantly statistically significantly happens more to women and Oftentimes women aren't believed and it wasn't really until the early 90s kind of third wave feminism came on the scene and it became more let's listen to and and believe women. But one I read one law review article that said in a 1425, that's that many thousands of years ago, that following a married woman or boy and girl to a nuisance was a punishable crime. So the fact that it had been something that had been happened. It's been happening for centuries, but in the United States, at least, it took until the early '90s, as we'll hear, to even recognize this. But it's a uh, buckle up, you all, because your frustration—if you felt frustrated at the the Amy ba- Bradley case, the last two episodes we did mm-hmm. of just feeling like there is something on fire and everyone's standing around going, "What do you think we should do about mm-hmm. it?" Prepare yourself. And then there's a family with just buckets of water that are trying to put it out all by themselves. Mm-hmm. And instead of helping them, uh, law enforcement just keeps dousing it with gasoline. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So uh, like I said, it's a frustrating one. And we've broken it into two parts. And, and in fact, the stalking is primarily part one. And then we'll discuss more about how this case ends in part two. And I thought that we should break it into two parts Specifically because we don't, and by we, I mean the colloquial we, 
often don't talk about just stalking. It's stalking and because it led to something else. But in our bonus episode, you'll hear, hear tomorrow, Dana, who is like brilliant, an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to stalking. These statistics, she just off the top of her head. I mean, she's just a catalog for all of this. But so often it's not really talked about. It's it's lumped in with other mm-hmm. stuff. Yes. Like it's, well, yeah, and then there was domestic violence or yeah, and then, you know, he killed her. But stalking on its own is a crime and yes. should be punishable. And so often it's not. And so I really, I want us to highlight just how harmful and dangerous stalking is on its face. Yes, you can tell by the title of this episode, it ends in the worst way possible. But had that not happened, what happened to Peggy is still terrifying yeah. and her family. And, and it's, criminal. Oh, beyond criminal. Yeah. So many opportunities Egregious. for something to happen law enforcement wise that didn't. And, you know, we do Freaky Friday and I can't tell you how many submissions we get of primarily women saying they were stalked in high school, in college, as adults. You know, I mean, the statistics are, I believe it's 70% of the time, it's someone that we know. Mm-hmm. And 40% of that, it's in an intimate partner relationship. And in all of those submissions, it's time and time again, well, you know, everyone just thought he was kind of creepy. Or, yeah. you know, the cop said, well, He's just upset because you broke up with him. You know, he's just got his feelings hurt. And we are going to just smash all that yes. bullshit right now. Yeah, do away with all of the the misconceptions that, that are involved in stalking. And I think you're right. It's important that for part one, we really break down the the several, several, several incidents because all too often it's, well, she was stalked through a series of incidents. But you don't realize the lengths to which, especially in this case, Patrick was willing to go. But the lengths to which these people are, go to show I'm still in control of you even when we're not uh, together. Mm-hmm. So the, I'm, I'm glad we're doing it in two parts. I'm very glad that Spark reached out to us to to help yeah. make more people aware of stalking awareness this month. But also after, you know, when February 1st rolls around, we don't forget about it, that we no. keep this at the forefront of our mind, that it isn't just domestic violence, sexual assault. And like they said, and stalking kind of gets lumped in on the edge. So it, yeah. it is its own crime to focus on for sure. Absolutely. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Margaret Mary Clinky, known to loved ones as Peggy, was born December 2nd, 1970 in Youngstown, Ohio. She had two older sisters and a younger brother, all of whom she loved dearly. The eldest sister, Debbie, described the blonde hair and blue-eyed Peggy as an all-American girl. She was bright, smart, and had a sparkling personality, according to Debbie, who went on to say that you knew when she was in the room because there was just happiness around her. Peggy was kind to all and loved by many. She adored her nieces and was thought of as the fun aunt. After receiving her undergrad degree, Peggy decided to enroll in pre-med classes at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque in the fall of 1998. With a passion for health and wellness, Peggy's plan was to prepare for medical school while teaching yoga at a nearby gym a few mornings a week. It was at UNM where she met and began dating a fellow student named Patrick Kennedy, an electrical engineering student. 
divorced and the father of a seven-year-old girl. Patrick showered Peggy with compliments about her intellect and interest. At the time, Peggy had no way of knowing that Patrick's ex-wife had filed seven different police reports against Patrick regarding his volatile and abusive behavior. You know, on the surface, they're both, Patrick had a job as a landscaper, you know, it's kind of independent, you know, doing his own thing. She was going back to school. So they're both older students on Mm -hmm. a college campus. I can see how they were in a study group together and then he asked her out. So you can see how that's a good match. And then you get together with him and he's like, well, I am divorced. Just so you know, my ex-wife is crazy. Yeah. And as we've said before, when a guy tells you, oh, my ex is crazy, Huge red flag. What did you do to her? That's yeah. my question. Oftentimes, <laughs> mm-hmm. not always. Granted, this, like we said, this happens to men as well. And I'm sure, please, anybody that this has happened to, feel free to write into Freaky Friday. But in this case, for sh- he was exactly, exactly that domestic violence. Uh, he wasn't convicted, but he had done it before. And to turn the tables and go, oh, I'm such a good dad, and mm-hmm. she is just terrible. She tries to keep me away from my child. When in the reality was that he was uh, not a unknown to law enforcement. No, he wasn't. In 98, I mean, this is the beginning of when, you know, the internet really mm-hmm. starts to take off and stuff. You didn't check people back then. You, you, couldn't, couldn't, really. Goog- you couldn't Google someone and see, like, what comes up. Nowadays, you could and see – oh, he has seven charges against him or he's been arrested for such and Mm -hmm. such back then, it wasn't an option. No, and uh, I believe in some of those instances too, it was tied in with the family law case with the divorce, which unfortunately you would have had to know to go down to the courthouse. Hey, he said he was divorced. Can I get a record? You know, and then in Mm -hmm. that case, are you violating his privacy? But we are in a much better position now to be able to search people online that we just didn't have that access back then. And Dana points out that, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Right. You know, I mean, if you're doing it to protect yourself, that's one thing. But looking up someone to find out where they live when they don't want you to know where they live or their location. And just because we have that technology now does not mean that it gives you a free pass to do that stuff. That's a good point. You know, you don't, you're not just entitled to it unless you have a good faith reason to look mm-hmm. it up. It's not like, I want to see what his house looks like. It's like, well, let him show you his house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And she didn't have, Peggy didn't have a reason at this point to think anything weird. Why would you? You just met a fellow student. He seems nice. He asks you out. You think, okay, what's the harm in that? Yeah, he's super charming. And a friend of her said because she was so beautiful, she would oftentimes get kind of pegged as like the ditzy girl or whatever. And she said that Patrick specifically made sure to go, you're so smart and so Mm -hmm. brilliant early on and say, oh, you do yoga? That's amazing. So it's like we say with any of the snakes that, uh, you know, fixate on someone, they start to sniff out, oh, okay, well, you have a bit of a, you know, you feel low self-worth in this area. Well, that's where I'm going to like shower you with love. Over complimenting, mm-hmm. overcompensating. Yeah. Just, I mean, for lack of a better phrase, blowing smoke up your ass. Yeah. You know, is it just to boost your confidence and win you over? Mm-hmm. Get you attached to them. Mm-hmm. Peggy seemed happy with the relationship in the beginning, though her family quickly began to have concerns. Her sister Debbie told Final Justice, the Lifetime series hosted by Aaron Brockovich, that it wasn't long before she noticed a change in Peggy's personality. I just knew something wasn't right with my sister, and I wasn't sure why. Debbie's suspicions were soon confirmed during Christmas of 98. Peggy, Debbie, and the rest of their family were celebrating the holiday in Ohio. 
given Peggy and Patrick had only been dating for a few months, she opted to travel to Ohio on her own. So imagine Peggy's surprise when Patrick showed up unannounced and uninvited to her mom's house. In our interview with Debbie, she recalled how she had been the one to answer the front door. There, standing on the doorstep, was a man she had never met. Debbie looked back towards Peggy, who was coming down the stairs. According to Debbie, Peggy looked shocked and concerned. As Patrick said, Hey, I'm here to surprise you. I'm here to spend holidays with you. Oh, my God. Immediate, shut the door, lock, (laughs) hide. It's just so, it's, uh, I mean... Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. Of course, knowing now this, the family at the time, you're thinking, well, this is strange and weird. But you know, maybe he's just kind of a strange and weird guy. Mm-hmm. Although Debbie said immediately, she was like, I don't like this guy. Creep, I got weirdo. a bad feeling, and that's how I roll too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel it much <laughs> for me to have. But something like this again, there is no Google. Mm-mm. He knows. She lives in Ohio. The Peggy's mom lives in Ohio. But apart from that, didn't have any information. No, and it's just preying on Midwestern, in this case, Midwestern hospitality of Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to fly all the way there. It's such a manipulation to be like, I flew all the way here and I'm here on your doorstep and you're going to turn me away. Yeah, The the type of people that engage in stalking behaviors in my personal experience and just I think in general, they want that power through manipulation and you know might be power through force or power through manipulation of really you're going to turn me away wow you monster and so guilt tripping you guilt tripping gaslighting you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you basically have now forced their hand to go yeah i guess come on in we'll make you a plate yeah at the same time, how did you find us? Yeah, that's oh, sick. it was I, it was a surprise. I couldn't tell you. I mean, yeah. he just kept skirting the issue, mm-hmm. kind of just you know deflecting and wouldn't answer. Mm-mm. And the links that you would have to go to to really find that out yes. in ninety eight far greater than what you would have to do now. It's significant. It makes me think of Rex Hewerman with the Gilgo Beach 4 when he told his colleague, oh, I'll find you wherever. Right? She's like, I'm going on a cruise. And then she gets a note to her door like he did find you. And it's that same manipulation, power, and control. Mm-hmm. That no matter where you are. I'll be there. I, I have my eye on you. Yeah, you can't. You're never really away from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Debbie said the incident immediately gave her a bad feeling about Patrick. During his time at the house... Peggy's other sister, Melinda, also became wary of Patrick. Both sisters couldn't put a finger on it, but their gut instinct was telling them something was off about him. He repeatedly overstepped boundaries, and according to Debbie, tried to wedge himself into the family and get in everyone's business. Especially concerning was that Peggy had not told Patrick where her mom lived. Given Google had not yet been invented, and Patrick only knew her mother lived in Ohio, The family was uneasy at how easily Patrick seemed to find them. And Poland, Ohio, is not, you know, it's not like, well, my mom's the governor, so, you know, she lives in the governor's mansion. It's like a smaller town. It's it's bizarre to even go to those lengths. Yeah. And to, at no point did you ever make Peggy aware that Mm -hmm. your intention was to come out there. And like we discussed in the interview, having your family meet somebody you're dating is, you know, that's a big deal. It's a milestone in a couple's mm-hmm. relationship. And it should be up to the person whose family is being met. Yeah. So if Peggy was at a point where she's like, we're not ready yet. I don't want that to happen. 
then that shouldn't happen. And for her hand to be forced and it's like, oh, well, I mean, now you've already met because you just showed up. And so now I'm in this uncomfortable position. It's so controlling and manipulative. It's so just creepy. I mean, yeah. it's it's immediate overstepping of the boundaries is one way to put it, but also just uh, diving headfirst into a family that you know nothing about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Trying to, to, to make, mm-hmm. to insert yourself into of a familiar way. Yeah. Like, like you, she said, he's like in everybody's business, mm-hmm. rubbing up against folks like, oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, what are y'all talking about over here? But also I was thinking the steps it took for him to do this of looking up and finding the address, then booking the flight, driving, mm-hmm. packing your bag, driving to the airport. The amount of uh, incidents along the way where you could have, there's a fork in the road, which is like a judicial term of like, you could have made the right decision and you didn't. Like the fact that he, the whole entire time went, yeah, I'm going to do this for this sure. It's a great gonna, idea. It's a great, a great idea. It's romantic. It, Look at yeah. me showing up on her door at the holidays, you know, something straight out of love, actually. I'm just going to profess my love and her family's going to think I'm so great. Mm-mm, sir, don't knock on my door. I'm not going to say it's carolers. I'm going to go, babe, your weird friend's out here with a sign. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's... Um, Fuck love, actually, is all that to say. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, yes. <laughs> Sinisterhood will be right back. Adding to their uneasiness was a comment Patrick made during his uninvited stay. Peggy's sister, Melinda, who lived about 20 minutes away from their mother's house, had a party one evening, prompting Patrick to announce, Look like I, Looks like I picked the wrong sister to sleep with. Seemingly unconcerned with how gross and inappropriate this was, Patrick had the audacity to ask Peggy to move in with him when they got back to New Mexico. Peggy's friend Marie told Discovery. When she moved in with Patrick, he started to isolate her, so she didn't really spend any time with other students. His behavior towards her was becoming more and more controlling. It was clearly behavior to show that she belonged to him. Debbie echoed this, adding that Patrick's frequent signs of jealousy weren't even involving Peggy looking at another man or talking about another man explaining it was everything anytime attention was not given to him he was jealous he didn't like it it didn't take much to push patrick over the edge and that's the other thing is it's not that you know they were dating and then they broke up and then he begins this it's the the moves along the way of escalating the in the relationship sooner than maybe she was comfortable with mm-hmm. then telling her you know don't go you don't need to go do that don't don't go to that study group anymore you know they don't need your like maybe you don't need to teach that yoga class anymore all those guys are just going to look at your butt you know it's these small insidious ways to further and further get them away from their support group like support community which I thought was really interesting when we spoke with Dana is that she said all too often people define stalking as once the relationship is ended, but in Peggy's case and so many other cases, the stalking begins during the relationship and it escalates after they've broken up because then that rejection hits. And so they get even more pissed and start doing even more, but he's stalking her Already, you know, mm-hmm. he, she couldn't go anywhere without him knowing she mm-hmm. within a few months of dating, he's asked her to move in. That mm-hmm. is very fast in a relationship. But then he knows where she is all the time. Exactly. They live together. Yes. Yes. And if he's said, no, don't stop all these extra 
extracurricular activities or don't go to these study groups. He doesn't, I mean, he has a job, but it's a, you know, contract landscaper. He can make his own hours. He can do whatever he wants, which is very convenient when you're trying to have eyes on somebody 24 seven. It's true. Yeah. And kind of get her within his constant control and then just turn up the control Mm -hmm. little inch by inch by inch. Like a frog boiling in the water, just Mm -hmm. like we said with um, on our last Freaky Friday when there was a Mm -hmm. subject kind of like this. As the relationship progressed, so did the abuse. While Debbie said she never saw evidence that her sister was being physically abused, it was very apparent the emotional and psychological abuse was taking a huge toll on Peggy. During a family vacation to the beach, Patrick came along and was unusually possessive, not allowing Peggy to engage with her family outside his presence. According to Debbie, It was like she didn't have permission to be a part of our family anymore. He also brought a gun on the trip, something that stuck out as odd to Peggy's family. Debbie told Discovery, Patrick had guns, and I know she didn't like it. You bring a gun to a beach trip, man? That's killing the vibe. Yes. It seems like a flex. It's a a flex. uh, Just a a very passive aggressive, like, you want to fuck around and find out? Just letting you know, you know, always letting Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm the one in charge here. Yeah. And it's just unnecessary. It's not like, hey, we're going to go to the beach. And, you know, recently there have been raids of Airbnbs where, you know, marauding bands of pirates kick the doors open so we can't be too careful. It's like you're going to Galveston. You know, you're just going to go and have like a nice vacation where children family vacation, where children are present and you bring a gun with you and And just kind of slip it in the suitcase. Like, yeah, I brought it. So what? Yeah. I my heart just breaks for. Peggy during this time, as well as the family, just thinking of being on a vacation with your family where you should feel safe and, you know, that cozy, comforting feeling of, and he's stripped of her of that. He's not even letting her talk to her family, her family. Again, like Debbie said, it wasn't like if you talk to another guy, Mm -mm. it was anybody. I mean, her own mother, she couldn't have a conversation with unless- Patrick was there. Was like nearby. Yeah. And it's like, oh, let's, you know, we'll have a girl's lunch or whatever. Nope. Anything like that. And then in your, you see little by little the things that make you the autonomous, free, independent feeling person. You're like, oh, okay. Oh, you know, it's, it's not too bad. You know, he doesn't, he's not being too bad. But when taken in a, like as a pattern of behavior, you see it is, it starts to add up. Absolutely. Yeah. During this time, Peggy was also going on job interviews, something Patrick would try to ruin at every opportunity. After Peggy would get dressed for the interview, Patrick would criticize and demean her, telling her, You look like a slut. And who's going to hire someone as stupid as you? Like clockwork, he would later apologize, buy her flowers, and take her to dinner, something experts call the honeymoon phase during the cycle of abuse. That's classic of, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's luring them in with compliments and everything. And then um, the tensions start to rise. The victim can feel it. There's a shift. And then things like this. You look like a slut. You're cheating on me. You know, I I know that you're going out and doing X, Y, Z and lying to me about it. And eventually... um, the uh, the honeymoon phase comes after the the explosion and to 
lure them back in and start all over again. And then you, you know, if you say, well, you called me a slut, it's like, does that dinner mean nothing to you? I spent mm-hmm. $50 on those roses and I got you your favorite champagne. Don't like, wow, wow. And then it turns it around and kind of makes you, like tries to make you the villain. Well, often the victim usually won't even bring that up because yeah. they just want it to be in the next cycle mm-hmm. of, okay, right now I'm being treated okay. Mm-hmm. I won't even say good. I will say, okay. I saw this eye-opening TikTok and we can link it in our show notes last night um, of a woman who was in a toxic relationship. Her brother, who is an engineer, drew out a diagram to kind of visually show her the damage that was happening in her relationship. And he, ex- you know, he drew like, okay, if this is the baseline for a relationship, and above this. You know, we're in we're in a net positive. This is where we want to be, mm-hmm. where everyone's being treated equal and things are With great and everything. And respect, yeah, yes. And then below that that baseline is you being controlled, you being told that you're an idiot, a slut, whatever. Well, if your abuser stays down here mm-hmm. in the in the negative. All it takes is one phone call of like, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean that to bump you up. And in your mind, you're thinking, oh, okay, we're doing good. But in reality, he's just put you back at that baseline, Mm -hmm. which is where, which is just basic respect. It's not like a good relationship. He's doing the bare minimum to keep you in that. But he knows that he can because it works time and time again. And he's never doing anything to bump you up into the net positive. Mm -hmm. He's just doing the bare minimum to keep you at that baseline. And seeing that visual and having it explained like that, it just really something different clicked for me. That's so, so valuable. And yeah, we absolutely will share that. I want to show me that later on tonight when we hang out. I will. Because that uh, the amount of minimization Mm -hmm. that... I did not go through as we were about to hear what happens to Peggy, but I was stalked. And it was not until we spoke to Debbie and Dana that I've like, and then now fed like conversations with my therapist to come to terms with it. But to all that to say, you're absolutely right. When you're in that, you're like, you, you, I'm a rational, smart, logical person, I think sometimes. And the fact that I was like, oh, well, well, he did that. So it's not so bad. He apologized. But mm-hmm. the amount of minimization that we, we do when we're in this situation of, oh, he was just having a bad day. He mm-hmm. was just mad, whatever is not an intentional thing. I'm sure it's probably a coping mechanism, but all that to say is, you know, from us externally and now me with the benefit of hindsight, you go, damn, you let somebody say that to you. Yeah, certainly I did a lot for a while, you know, because at the time that you don't have a brother who's an engineer who makes you a lovely (laughs) chart so uh he's doing the lord's work we'll post that uh we'll post that up for sure november of 2001 patrick's possessiveness and control reached new heights peggy planned to attend her best friend's wedding in ohio on her own so she made a flight reservation and planned to stay with her family at a hotel without her knowledge or permission Patrick called up the airline and the hotel to cancel all of Peggy's plans. He then made flight arrangements for the two of them together and booked a hotel room for just the two of them across the street from where Peggy's family was staying. Debbie explained. Everywhere that Peggy went, he had to be with her. So that to me was really, really concerning. But I think the deeper Peggy got into the relationship, the harder it was to get out. 
Well, yeah, because you think, oh, I made my own reservations, and then he cancels them. So no matter what you do, he proves I can figure it out, and I'm better than you, and I'm smarter than you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get what I want. And obviously, I'm going through your emails or your phone or whatever Papers it is out, whatever, to yeah. find this information out. He had not been invited to the wedding. No. So now you've got this awkward situation of like, oh, by the way, this is Patrick. The the friend may have purposely not invited him because, you know, it was kind of known that he was a controlling asshole. Mm-hmm. So, to, and then, no, we're not going to stay with your family. You're no. getting, we're getting our own room across the street, not even in the same hotel. Mm-mm. Again, to isolate and just show I'm the one in control here. Yeah, it all, it's it's this flex of power. And and like we said, with imagine the steps it must take to find her mom in Ohio to find out someone's flight to call that up, cancel it. Which I don't know the laws, but I don't think you should be able to just cancel somebody else's flight. No, I. That's a great question of what that would violate. It, it, he replaced it with an equal flight, but just added himself. My concern is I would say, oh, well, you know, they would never do this nowadays, you know, if you call up American Airlines, but you don't have to call them up. You would just have to have that record locator. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a horrible thing that we learn as we go through all of the steps and the actions that he did, that these are still things that people could do that are Mm -hmm. available. You just would do it in a different way now. It's just sadly easier now, which... I don't know if it makes it even more insidious what he did because it was more difficult, but he certainly had to spend a lot more time doing it. No, most definitely. And as to it being illegal, I mean, that that's kind of the, the beauty of a stalking law where that action on its own is a perfectly legal action, but it is part of a course of conduct that she mm-hmm. was already being subjected to his controlling behaviors and taken in concert with the rest of them, I I think it would be. I think it would help prove a stalking case of like, look, he's calling up my reservations and canceling them without my permission. On the Spark website, which is phenomenal source for all things um, stalking related and prevention and uh, just resources that will, of course, link. There are several PDFs that I was reading through to help people when, you know, people are being trained in their field or whatever about stalking. And one of them is how just regular things might seem regular, but then when you put them in the context of, oh, this person is being stalked, it takes on a totally different meaning. So in, in the example, it was someone calls you and says, oh my God, there's a coffee cup in my car. And you think, why is this person freaking out about a coffee cup? This is this isn't normal behavior. And then you get into it and they're like my stalker knows the exact type of coffee I order and written on this coffee cup was the nickname that they call me and it was left in my cup holder. And it was hot. So I know they just put it in there and you're like, yeah, it's not illegal. It's probably legal to break into somebody's car, but I'm giving you a coffee. I'm leaving something on your doorstep. These seemingly, they try to, and again, it's the same with Patrick. I I just wanted to spend New Year's Eve with you. That's why I came to Ohio. I'm not a bad person. You know, I just wanted to give you a cup of coffee. 
you're really blowing this out of proportion. They, I think a lot of times stalkers choose that what would be facially legal or facially nice acts so that they can then later frame their victim as like, she's crazy. She's like telling everybody I'm a stalker because I left her a coffee. It's like, yeah, you left it on her car after she said, don't call me anymore. Right. Honestly, if the only thing was he canceled my reservations without my knowledge and rebooked them, that in of itself to me is like a deal breaker in a relationship. But comparing it back to the coffee, if she calls you up and says, he changed my flight, you know, you might be like, okay, well, is that that big of a deal? But when you lump it into all this other stuff of, yeah, because for months he's been trying to control all of my behavior and is doing things without my permission or even my knowledge. Like when you see the whole laundry list together and Peggy did keep a list of all the things that he was doing and eventually gave it to law enforcement, you see, it's not just these one-off incidents. It's every day, the same behavior and it's escalating as well. Yeah. The course of conduct is the the phrase. Mm -hmm. Sinisterhood. We'll be right back. With the entire family gathered at the wedding, it should have been a happy occasion. However, Debbie said her sister was absolutely miserable. She looked sickly, was losing hair and weight, and was constantly worried that she was putting her family in danger simply by spending time with them. Debbie said this weekend seemed to be the last straw for Peggy. Yeah, if you if he gets mad at you and is yelling at you, you you do get that feeling of, well, he, he might yell at them or I don't want to cause a scene and I don't want to ruin my friend's wedding. So, you, you know, you just imagine the tension she must have felt that whole weekend of like, God, I can't make him mad. I, I better not do that. A wedding, like you said, is supposed to be happy occasion. You're supposed to be dancing, having a good time, giving speeches. But in a state like that, you can't you can't enjoy anything. No, just walking on eggshells and. Uh, he already brought a gun to a beach vacation, so I'm assuming he takes it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you can, you know, it's a pretty safe bet that he's got one on him, at least in the hotel room, if not at the wedding. And God. if you know that, and he knows that you know that, he knows that he you're you're scared. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he uses yeah. that to his advantage. And she didn't like guns and didn't even want him around at all, much less on, on a trip. No. And the fact that he already had, which the family and Peggy did not know about at this time, but he had seven police reports filed on him from his ex, that alone, sh- he shouldn't have been able to travel with, with guns. Yeah, truly. Yeah. And, and I, I, the, I'm of the mindset that law-abiding citizens under Supreme Court precedent and the Second Amendment, law-abiding citizens have a, a right to a firearm. And if you are convicted of domestic violence or subject to a protective order, you are no longer a law-abiding citizen. Therefore, right. I, I don't think you should even have access to a weapon. Very true. Yes. After being in the abusive relationship for three years, Peggy was finally able to break things off with Patrick in March of 2002. With Patrick being a self-employed landscaper, he was rarely out of the house. However, Peggy was patient and managed to wait until he was gone one afternoon to move herself out. She had found an apartment of her own and packed up her car with as many of her belongings that would fit and drove them over there. And it is so dehumanizing, too, that you can't even 
you know, it's not like, okay, well, I'm going to move out. We've all broken up with someone and had right. to divide our things. And it's like, you know, here's your key. It's nice to know. You. I mean, it's like an emergency situation of whatever I can grab from the closet. And I, yeah. we've, she, you know, she left behind photos that he later on used to torment her. You know, you're going to forget things when you're in that panic state. But every step along the way, his actions have robbed her of the normalcy that we all take for granted. Yeah. No, it was, you can't just have a, normal breakup with no. someone like this Mm-mm. you're because you're terrified of what they'll do they're already shown you they're completely unhinged mm-hmm. so it's like you have to like flee under the darkness of night yeah to you know to escape him just call your buddy and go can i come over there mm-hmm. wow when peggy returned to the house she shared with patrick she discovered he had returned not only that but he had already changed the key code to the garage preventing her from re-entering Additionally, he had barricaded the front door so she couldn't get in that way. Patrick then called the police, claiming he was a victim and that someone was trying to break into his home to harm him and his girlfriend. When officers arrived, they seemed to smell a rat, according to Debbie. They asked Peggy if there was anything she wanted to tell them. As Patrick glared at her threateningly, Peggy said no and just asked to get a few more things before leaving again. Debbie said the move was great for about four seconds. Of course, he would try to say, oh, someone's breaking in. Again, trying to play, control the narrative, control yeah. the situation, play the victim. And also force her hand of now it's like, oh, you want to try to get back in? Nah, you're not mm-hmm. getting any of this shit unless you, you know, beg me for it. You're going to have to contact me because you can't get in the house. Mm-hmm. So it's either leave all your stuff behind or you're, I'm going to force you to talk to me. And then even when the officer is there, that glaring look from him tells her in a second to go, I can't say anything right now. Because, of course, who knows what he's going to make up? Well, here shortly, he's he's willing to lie. I do think the officers should have separated the two of them. Mm -hmm. And in any call like this, a domestic violence call or if you, quote, smell a rat, separate them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you think. She seems like she's a victim here. Like, this could be a domestic violence situation. Well, do you think she's going to be able to be honest or feel comfortable doing that with her abuser standing there? Yeah, why would you ask that question in front of him? No, no. Yeah. Immediately, Patrick began stalking Peggy, refusing to accept that their relationship was over. Patrick would call Peggy relentlessly, sometimes up to 100 times a day. He left her voicemails that ranged from, I love you, please come back to me, to, listen, you fucking bitch, if you don't pick up the phone, I'm going to find you and kill you. And that's what your phone is just, I mean, you can't have one moment of peace. Mm-mm. I mean, everybody has to have their phone. And Debbie said the easiest way to get a hold of Peggy was her cell phone. Every time it rings, your heart just fucking Sick. sinks and your <sighs> voicemail is just filled. It's it's run out because mm-hmm. it's just him saying these horrible, threatening things. Even the, I love you, please come back to me, is manipulative and abusive. Yeah. And then you hear the l- legitimate death threats of, I'm going to find you and fucking kill you. Yeah, and you want to say, God, I, I don't want to listen to this. I just want to delete him. But that's the 
horrible thing about stalking is that the onus is on the victim to essentially gather their own information. So you don't even get to process your grief as a victim, the life that you have lost because you don't get to be free and walk around and do whatever you want, because now you have to be your own detective and go, okay, well, I got to start gathering evidence on myself, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have to save all of these Mm -hmm. voicemails that I wish I could just move on from this person act, you know, put this all behind me, move on. But no, you Uh got to keep it all because you have to document everything. So hopefully the police will do something about it. Hopefully. Shortly after leaving the relationship, Peggy spoke with Patrick's brother, David. She wanted to know if he thought Patrick would go through with his threats. When Peggy asked David if she should be worried that Patrick was actually going to kill her, David replied, I don't think he would kill you. If he was going to kill anyone, it would probably be our dad. Patrick's mother also threatened Peggy after she broke up with her son, telling Peggy on a phone call that if she didn't get the hell out of Dodge, that she would come over there and take care of you myself. Well, a hot tip for any family member whose ex comes to you and says, hey, your brother is threatened to kill me, and I'm worried if that might be a thing. What you should do is go, you know what, I'm going to call him, and I'm going to tell him to knock it off. Not go, I don't know, probably not, but uh, I don't know, he might kill our dad. Like, no, this is the wrong answer. And also, what? Why would he kill your dad? What's, I mean, now (laughs) you're like, I got a whole new thing to unpack. This is the first I've heard of this, but clearly, Uh if you think that, you as his brother have seen his his violent tendencies. You know of a story there. And, you know, I mean, if you think that your sibling is capable of killing your parent, maybe call that into the cops. Yeah. Maybe, maybe back Peggy up. And when she's trying to gather evidence, go to the police and say, she's not wrong. Yeah. Like, I've seen all, over the course of knowing him, this is what's happened. I mean, what? Why would you just out of the blue say he'd probably kill our dad if there wasn't uh, some kind of reason to incidents that have happened that would lead you to believe that? And then the mom oh, just protecting her poor, innocent baby boy. So pathetic and desperate at any age for the mom to get involved in a breakup. This is a grown man and she's yeah. calling and threatening a grown woman. Yeah. Like, if you don't get the hell out of Dodge, which begs the question of what narrative has Patrick been feeding her? Complete. Yeah, I'm sure the same thing that he fed her about his ex-wife of she's so mm-hmm. crazy, she's terrible. And that's the other thing, too. Hey, if your brother had to get a divorce and the ex-sister-in-law had to call the police repeatedly because – and the ex-sister-in-law, you'll hear the exact language Debbie shares with us in our interview. But the ex-sister-in-law had made it clear and was aware that Patrick was a danger to her and her child. Yeah. And your answer is just like, uh, probably not you. You probably killed dad. This is just the wrong answer. And I don't even think it's like, oh, hindsight's twenty twenty. No, I think any reasonable person would not have done this. And I'm, uh, no. I, I don't think very highly of these folks. No, no, definitely not. Patrick would wait outside Peggy's gym and place of employment for hours, just watching her. A constant reminder that he knew where she was at all times. On one of these occasions, Patrick hid in the bushes at Peggy's work and waited until she came out to leave for the day. As she walked to her car, Patrick jumped out of the bushes with a dozen roses in one hand and an engagement ring in the other. He asked Peggy to marry him. 
Refusing to acknowledge his ridiculous question, Peggy ignored him, continued to her car, and drove away. And we always say, you know, if they're calling you, don't engage. Don't. Uh, I listened to a CLE today. It's like the number one advice is making it clear. We, please do not contact me. I. This makes me afraid for my safety. I will not engage with you further. That's exa- She's doing the right thing. Yeah. Pretty much at every turn, she's done the right thing. Mm-hmm. And all it does is just escalate. All it does is piss him off more. And you already know he's watching you. And then you're on your way to your car. Guard is up, I'm sure. And he jumps out of the bushes. How long had he been there? With a dozen roses in an engagement ring? Mm -mm. And what is this fucking idiot thinking? That she's going to say, yes? Oh, yes. I've been wrong this whole time. Clearly, you're a sane and rational person. I will marry you. I mean, it's just... It's he's completely off the rails. He's yeah. very mentally unwell, obviously, but or, that doesn't give anybody the excuse to behave like this. No, for sure. And I'm always 50 50 of like, and that's what one of the attorneys I was listening to today was like, some of them are really like, they have got no grip on reality. And this guy was a criminal defense attorney. And he's like, when they're your clients, that's rough. Cause oftentimes they turn that attention to you, which mm. Godspeed criminal defense attorneys. But it's like, are you either so delusional that you think this will work or so manipulative? Manipulative that you're like, oh, I'll do this and then we'll see what she does next. He doesn't strike me at, at no point did he strike me as like, oh man, this guy. I mean, he strikes me as a person who makes terrible decisions, but I, he it's like I'm I'm 50-50 on was he just delusional and thinking it would work, or was he manipulative thinking like, oh, this I'll watch this. Watch me. You're gonna you're not gonna ignore yeah. my phone calls. I'm gonna take it up a notch. Maybe a little from column A yeah. and a little from column B. I tend to think in these situations that while there is a lot of planning and thought into uh, carrying things like this out or showing up at her mom's house, I don't think a lot of times people like this think past that moment mm-hmm. of, okay, and then I'm going to jump out of the bushes and I'm going to surprise her and ask her to, and then what? Yeah. What? What is what do you think is going to happen? Or I'm going to show up at her doorstep. Well, and and then what? But I think the the planning, their thoughts kind of stop at the the climactic moment of whatever they've been planning, and then after that, I don't know. Maybe yeah. they haven't really thought it through, or he thinks that maybe it could work. I, I mean, I. I Who's to say? Yeah. Who's to say? But either way, the act either is way, horrible. he's a a monster, and, and nobody should behave like this. At no point did she ever indicate to him, "I want to get back with you." Mm-mm. I'm, you know, I mean, she had broken it off. Obviously, there was abuse during the relationship. It wasn't as if these feelings that she had had come out of the blue. So that, in and of itself, he is. That behavior is abusive. It's manipulative. It's inappropriate to continue demanding and repeatedly asking someone to be in a relationship with you when they have clearly said, no, I am not fucking interested. Yeah. A hundred unanswered phone calls a day. It's uh, your answer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Sinisterhood. We'll be right back. Hoping to deter Patrick for good, Peggy continued to ignore his abusive tactics. Her sister, Debbie, told interviewers with Final Justice that this only infuriated Patrick more, saying, The more she ignored him, the angrier he got. 
Patrick's relentless stalking escalated further when he made a vulgar and defamatory flyer about Peggy and then posted it around town, specifically at places he knew she frequented. Printed on eight and a half by 11 paper, the flyer showed a picture of Peggy. Above the picture, it read, Have you seen me? Am I cute? Would you like to date me? Also printed on it was, I'm a slut. I've had two abortions and counting. If you'd like to sleep with me, give me a call. On the flyer was Peggy's personal cell phone number. Patrick made 300 copies of that flyer and put them everywhere throughout the city of Albuquerque, including her nail salon and yoga studio. According to Debbie, by this point, Peggy's friend Marie explained. He was terrorizing her. This is so humiliating and just breaks me to think about the reason she found out is because she went to yoga mm. and the per the one of the workers said i hate to be the one to tell you this but this was taped to the door when i got here today and and produces this flyer and think about how humiliated you are to know that who has seen this and yeah. places where you go so mm-hmm. he knows Not only are you going to see it, but also all the people that you see at all these places, Mm -hmm. they're going to know all your secrets and now you're going to feel embarrassed. And to put something so personal out of, I've had two abortions and counting one to act as if that's a problem. A woman is uh, allowed her right to choose. And if she wants to have two abortions, that's well within her right. But to use it against her and counting Mm-hmm. Fuck off to the moon. Yeah. And then to put her personal Danger. cell phone, the amount of times she had to change her phone Ugh. number because of him. And then you've got strangers now with who knows how many people with your phone number. It takes one person to th- take it seriously and be like, mm-hmm. oh, she's just, I'm going to go call her up. But you're right. The embarrassment of what well, true, not true, regardless of what it said, having that happen, even if the people that get the flyer are like, oh, yeah, she's got that crazy ex-boyfriend that's doing all that. It's still that feeling of when you walk into the yoga studio, everyone knows something that you don't because they've all seen this horrible thing. And also just this feeling of you all are looking at me with a sense of like pity of, oh, mm. she's going to kind of deal with that, whether that's true or not. But that's kind of the, you you know, it puts you in this weakened small position which is exactly his purpose and to go to places that we all have places that we feel safe at your nail salon your yoga studio your work places then to be violated in those places in a way that it's another way of going like i'm still here i'm around Mm -hmm. i show up whenever i want wherever i want and to think well he's just gonna sit outside that sucks but no he escalated to make 300 fucking flyers Using a picture that she had had to leave behind at his house because she couldn't take all of her stuff. Mm -mm. It's disgusting. It just, it's all those, all the things that she enjoyed and those little things that Mm -hmm. we enjoy. Like you and I love going to get our nails done. You know, little things that you would think like, can I not even enjoy this? Mm -mm. And the answer when it comes to him is no, I'm Mm -mm. going to let you know that every second of the day, I know where you are. Mm -hmm. And even if I don't, I'm going to ruin it for you by embarrassing you and humiliating you to the entire city. Pretty much like, yeah, I'm like I said, I'm here and your reputation is within my control. You're you may not be right now within my control, but I can at least control what some people, strangers or not think of you. 
And just as a PSA, if you ever are walking around or somewhere and you see a flyer like this, take it down Rip it and up. call that number and mm-hmm. let that woman know what is happening mm-hmm. or better yet, take it to the police and let them know what's going on. Don't ignore things like that. I mean, Mm-mm. I know a lot of times we might think, oh, gosh, they must have had a rough breakup or yikes. I'm Mm-mm. glad it's not me. But imagine if someone is capable of that, all the other things that they're capable of, and then put yourself in her shoes mm-hmm. and imagine the fear that you would feel and and do something. You know, I mean, w- whatever you can that's well within your power that keeps you safe and calling her or taking something to the police those are things that we can all do. Yeah. like and, and nowadays, it might be that they're posting shit all over social media yeah. everywhere, reporting those posts, not engaging with them, making moderators aware of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where in, we all got to look out for each other because yes. guys like him are wrecking balls. And, and until it takes a lot of us with our arms linked to stop them. That's a really good point. This was... Kind of before, if you could have just There's posted no this all over Instagram or Facebook, he he went and made his own post and printed it out and mm-hmm. drove around town. Again, the time that takes yeah. writing a shitty post and posting it still horrible. Don't do it. Takes a couple minutes. Typing something up, scanning a picture, printing out three hundred copies, and then driving around town and posting it up. That's a day's worth of shit. Yeah. It's a a lot of lengths, but that also tells you how effective this was. You know, he did 300 flyers in a whole day. Imagine what a person like this can do with the internet, with going down, oh, like with me, my friends list, and messaging, direct messaging people and being like, saying horrible things about me, direct messaging my mom, the new person I'm dating, my coworkers, things like that, where I have to be like, oh, yeah, this is a crazy person I used to date. Sorry. Like, it's embarrassing, But Mm -hmm. thank God, again, it stopped. But to think about how much more, I won't say effective, but how much more they can get done and how much more damage they can do with the internet, it's like, shit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all got to, like I said, we all got to link arms and stop this. Armed with the flyer, hundreds of threatening voicemails, and a binder of evidence showing the depths of Patrick's stalking, Peggy went to the Albuquerque police. Like so many stalking victims, Peggy was not taken seriously. It was instead told, Uh, come back when something happens. Feeling helpless and hopeless, Peggy and her family continued to live in a hypervigilant state, constantly worried that Patrick would eventually kill Peggy. And if he couldn't find Peggy, they feared he would target her mother. Who? He knew where she lived. Yeah. In June of 2002, the family attended another wedding, this time for Peggy's brother. The family gathered in Orlando for a festive weekend. Also there was Peggy's new boyfriend, Mark Sparks. A handsome pharmaceutical salesman, Debbie said her sister was excited about Mark, talking about him more than she ever did about Patrick. Peggy's friend Marie described Mark as being so good to Peggy, treating her with care and sharing mutual respect, saying, This is who she should have been with all along, someone who recognized how wonderful and great she is. Meanwhile, Patrick was not gone. He would spend long hours watching Mark's house and even took to calling the man from payphones. Still, Mark stuck by Peggy's side, determined to fight Patrick together. That's a really solid dude. Mm -hmm. If you get into a relationship with someone 
And Debbie said Peggy was up front and said, hey, look, I've got a stalker. Oh, yeah. I mean, he'd find out within a day. I mean, he's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. But said, I've got a stalker. He's he's pretty aggressive, you know, and Debbie said that Mark was like, I'm not worried about it. You know, I'm by your side. We'll mm-hmm. we'll handle this together. Yeah, whatever you have to do. But it's something like that where you're like, oh, we're at this wedding. It'll be great. Um, I got my new date. Everybody likes him. He's kind to me. We're having a fun time. And you can't even, you again, it's like I've stopped engaging. At this point, you know, it's three, four months after they've broken up. Mm-hmm. And you still, you're like, I'm in a whole nother state. This will be a great weekend because he, yeah. he's not going to come to Florida. Yeah, he doesn't need to. During the wedding weekend, Patrick continued to insert himself from afar, calling Peggy's brother to congratulate him and telling him on a voicemail how he loved Peggy and wished he could have been there to celebrate his big day. This is an incident of stalking. It's innocent. It's not harassing. He called the brother once. He congratulated him on his wedding. But taken in concert with the Mm -hmm. rest of the course of conduct, this would be an act that would help support a stalking charge, as it should be. And again, they do it because it seems innocent. Yes. Enjoying a few days of peace after changing her own phone number, Peggy had no idea just how incensed Patrick would become. Just a day after the wedding, another alarming phone call was received. This time, it was from Peggy's mother's neighbors in Ohio. Knowing the family was away in Florida, Patrick had flown to Ohio and spray-painted, PK is a whore, in all black on Peggy's mother's garage door. The family filed a police report in Ohio and also had it sent to Albuquerque for their files. But Patrick was just getting started. Still in Florida, Peggy, Mark, and her family were enjoying dinner together when Mark realized he had eight missed calls. It was the Albuquerque Fire Department. Mark's house had been set on fire. Immediately, Peggy knew Patrick was behind it. When Peggy and Mark returned to New Mexico, they reported the graffiti and the fire to the police, who were already investigating the incident as an arson. Peggy desperately pleaded with officers. It was not an isolated incident of arson. It was an escalation of the stalking she had suffered for months. Police brushed her off, telling her to keep a log of everything as they looked into things more. In yet another brazen act, the day Mark and Peggy filed a complaint at the police station, Patrick ran the couple off the road once they left the station. You can't even leave the police station safely. Now you have to live in a hotel because your fucking house got burned down after he flew across the country to write slut-shaming things on your mom's garage. The mortifying behavior. This is for your neighbor to have to call you at your son's wedding and be like, hey, just FYI, this, this happened. And then a couple days later, it's like, well, someone opened a gas line behind Mark's house and the whole thing caught on fire. Yeah. He, because he knows that they're all in Florida and he's just used this as like open season to go and wreak havoc. We're at the, to buy a flight from New Mexico to Ohio to do the spray painting and then back to New Mexico, go in, in the dark of night, break a gas line, set this guy's house on fire. Mm -mm. And then he must've been following them to know that they went to the police station because he followed them after they left and ran them off the road. So he's, he's everywhere. 
Yeah, that's the feeling. It feels like it's a uh, the villain in a horror movie, truly, mm-hmm. that you are living in real life because you go to lay your head down to sleep in Florida. You know, you've changed your number, so you're not getting the phone calls, and you're like... We finally get to relax. Meanwhile, mom's phone rings. He's he's traveling interstate, too, which is why it's also important for police to take things seriously, because at some point you need to loop in the FBI. This becomes yeah. an interstate issue that he is now flying between states to do this rather than going, man, we got to solve that arson. And she's like, hi, I can tell you uh, his name, his address, you know, what kind of shoes he was wearing when he did the crime. And the cops yeah. are like, oh, boy, we wish we'd know who set this house on fire. She's like, excuse me, did you want a six inch thick binder? Oh, hang on a second. We're trying to solve this arson. It's like, what? It's a joke. What are you yeah. doing? It's such yeah. a joke. It's uh, it's frustrating. It's yeah. Debbie said that she, Peggy, went and looked around the windows and the house of Mark's house and could tell by the footprints that Mm -mm. they were boots that she had bought Patrick a few Christmases ago and the gait of the walk. She was like, this is how he walks. And they just kept saying, ma'am. Let us do our job. Yeah, we're trying yeah. to investigate an arson here. Get 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 out of here. Instead of female, somebody stopping and listening to her. And you know what? If if somebody had, she'd still be alive. Truly, Sinisterhood will be right back. After the arson, Peggy filed for an order of protection with the Albuquerque PD. Patrick answered by filing his own against Peggy. He claimed she was a drug addict and that he feared not only for his own safety, but for that of his young daughter. The judge ordered Patrick and Peggy to stay away from each other, something Peggy had obviously been desperately trying to do. As they were leaving the courthouse, Patrick seemed to relish in his latest move, saying to Peggy, I told you not to fuck with me. Oh. This is very, this happens a lot of, well, she's the one that's stalking mm-hmm. me, that it's actually the opposite. She's crazy. She's yes. on drugs. She's, ma'am, judge, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm the man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Listen, this is just a crazy woman. And then to use his young daughter as a pawn. Seriously. Allegedly, you may have been abusing also. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some documents that point to that might have been going on. So, to bring her into it, a minor who's not even involved in this. And Debbie said Pe- Peggy loved his daughter and, mm-hmm. you know, had, ki- had taken up kind of being, you know, a second mom to her and everything because Patrick was feeding her all this bullshit of, well, my ex is a terrible mom mm-hmm. and isn't a good mom to her, yada, yada, yada. Not at all the case. Mm-hmm. But so she had a relationship with the daughter and now you're using her against her. Yeah, and to say in, in open court she's a drug addict. I mean, things like statements like that can have an effect on someone's job. Yeah. Where you're all you're of also- this can have an effect on somebody's job. If if you show up and they've there's a poster that's like, "Hey, your employer's a slut and has had two abortions and she's sleeping with people everywhere." A lot of people don't want to keep someone around that's going to have someone coming up to their job and doing stuff like that even though you are not to blame. It, truly, what I was going to say is though in this case she's a pharmaceutical salesman. She's got yeah. a, she has access Access to controlled substances. This is a serious thing when you make these allegations that she's misappropriating, misusing whatever drugs that she has in her care and control. It is a targeted kind of a lie and meant to perhaps have you lose your job, which, you know, you work with Mark. He probably didn't like that she works with her new boyfriend either. Yeah, true. As the Clinky family waited for Patrick's trial date so they could pursue charges of stalking, 
The date kept getting pushed. Feeling helpless, Peggy decided to remove herself from the situation. Mark supported her decision, agreeing that she would be safer if she moved out of state. Peggy moved from New Mexico to Turlock, California in August of 2002, hopeful that she had left the heinousness of Patrick's stalking and harassment behind. Peggy had begun working as a sales representative for a pharmaceutical company and hoped to continue pursuing her dream of going to med school. Her friend Marie explained that even with the move, Peggy couldn't get free. Patrick was always kind of looming. In the back of her mind, she felt like he was always going to find her. He was not going to stop. Sadly, Marie was correct. Peggy and her family's worst fears were about to be realized. If you or someone you know is being stalked, help is available. For resources and information on your rights, contact the Victim Connect Resource Center at victimconnect.org or 1-855-4-VICTIM. If you're interested in learning more about stalking awareness or would like training or materials on stalking prevention, visit Spark's website at stalkingawareness.org. Links to this information are also available in our episode description. So what do we think? Well, the really tough part is that, you know, she got a protective order, which is usually like step one, especially if, you know, your your court date gets getting moved back and moved back. But violation rates of those are 40 to 50 percent. And as far as an increase or decrease in behavior afterwards, Spark cites several studies and some studies show that there is an increase in physical and psychological abuse after that. And usually if they're stalking before the PO, then it will escalate and continue afterwards. And the other issue, I mean, and Peggy did it, you know, she gets a PO and she's going to start reporting just like she did all along. She was making Mm -hmm. a paper trail, making, you know, documenting it. But in a lot of cases, some victims will get the protective order and go, well, well, I don't really want to bother the cops. This isn't really that big of a deal. You know, he just, uh, he left a rose on my thing. But it's important that every single one of those violations is reported mm-hmm. for either that that could be prosecuted as individual violations of the protective order or all of those collectively can be used then to prove that case of stalking. So stalking is like hard because it's it's not hard, but it's like an interesting law. It's kind of like conspiracy where there's got to be like underlying acts and some of those underlying acts on their own aren't necessarily criminal, but taken together. Some of them are like, you know, telephone harassment, stealing stuff, whatever, you know, damn, burning somebody's house down, for instance. The fact that the yeah. arson happened and that they were like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it is crazy to me. Like, yeah. it is egregious. It's negligent on on the part of the city of Albuquerque, the Albuquerque Police Department, the district attorney's office. I'm sure to this day, they understand what a fucking abject failure they were in this case. It is I hope. such such an important story to continue to tell. And that's what Spark, you know, where Spark comes in is doing training for law enforcement, victims, advocates, prosecutors, and things like that, because you can't, cases like this, she is every single marker for femicide, like every marker Mm -hmm. of having a protective order that is violated, you know, the escalation of behavior and the fact that it was like, well... I don't know. Uh, we'll have to figure out. Well, we'll see. We'll see when it comes up for the docket. It's like, put it at the fucking front of the docket, maybe. Yeah, Debbie said that they were honestly hopeful when the arson happened because it was an actual crime. Right. And they thought, okay, now things will start to move. And it didn't seem to matter at all. And she also said, like many stalkers, 
a piece of paper wasn't going to stop Patrick. I mean, he had also shown he was willing to go to all sorts of links to harass her and just make her live in a constant state of fear. So it's almost as if it's just a stepping stone in the Mm -hmm. process you have to do in order for something hopefully to happen with law enforcement. It's like a little box you got to check off. Well, did you get your order of protection? Yeah, I sure did. It's fucking pointless because um, what am I going to do when he shows up in my house? Wave this at his face. It's not bulletproof. This does nothing. In fact, all it does is piss him off more. And now he's saying, I told you not to fuck with me, which is very threatening as well. Yeah, that language, a statement like that is chilling to a victim of stalking because mm-hmm. you know what he, what the depths that he's willing to go to. Mm-hmm. And that's a question that I think came up early on when stalking laws were being passed. Of like, do we need to have a separate law of stalking? Because all of the offender's behavior is already illegal, and it isn't. Like, a statement like that's not illegal, but a statement like that can go, again, to paint a complete picture of the offender's behavior and kind of show, like, he was... This, this whole, like counter cross PO was a complete farce and it was mm-hmm. literally done to further abuse her and harass, annoy, terrorize Marie, I think hit the nail on the head of like, he was terrorizing her and you mm-hmm. saying he's everywhere. It's just a person like this truly just feels like, uh, like an unreal villain. And for her, it was so fucking real and she had to live it. And she shouldered the burden of it for so long of again, having to be the one you have to be your own advocate, sadly, yeah. because there was not anybody there for her at that time. No, apart you know, I mean, her from family, her, of course, yeah. but not like a law Someone enforcement that person do something going yeah. like, Hey, I'm the detective on your case and I'm going to take this all the way. And it's, it's yeah. much like we see in, you know, uh, like that American nightmare on Netflix where sometimes it takes one law enforcement official who will step up and go, I'm going to be the one to do this yes, and, yeah. uh, and, and be that hero. And it's, it's really, it's crushing. It's heartbreaking that she didn't have that hero here. It's also infuriating that before her, he was already in the system and maybe yeah. it was in another county or state or whatever, but he had seven police reports filed against him from his ex. And then he goes into court for this order of protection with Peggy. How does the judge not see, oh, he's got a history. I mean, so, you know, and putting two together of like, well, he's probably making all this shit up about Peggy because he's got a history of abuse. So again, smelling the rat mm-hmm. and doing something about it, believing women and also, and you referenced American Nightmare if you haven't watched it. Holy shit, dude. It's bananas. I'd never heard of the case and- I made Tommy stay up and watch all three episodes in a row because I was like, I have to know what happens. But it's fucking wild. But it finally took someone saying, no, I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. To break it all open. And Peggy never had that person in law enforcement that Mm -hmm. said, I believe you. Yeah, that's going to be that hero. And you're right. As far as, you know, the judge and the protective order hearing, that might be uh, one of 50 cases on their docket and they just don't Mm -hmm. know and they can't look into it. So it does also show you the importance of having centralized offender registries, databases where and because past behavior when with regards to domestic violence, past behavior is so indicative of future behavior. It is so likely to to be repeated that having that information in a easily accessible system like when she goes to california that should have been in a database so Mm -hmm. that she goes to the police station goes hey look i got a protective order in 
uh, New Mexico. And it's part of the Constitution. The vi- Well, it's the, the Violence Against Women Act was passed in 1994. And it requires all states, territories, tribal lands, anything within the United States has to it has to provide full faith and credit for protection orders issued by other jurisdictions. So you don't go to California and they go, oh, this is a New Mexico p- mm. protective order, which, by the way, before 1994 used to happen. And it's like, well, he hasn't done anything here. So because that wasn't, you know, it's like she's she's doing, she keeps falling through these cracks in the mm-hmm. system. And it's now 20 years later, you know, more than 20 years later that we're, as we'll talk about, and so what do we think in part two, uh, there is a, a stalking adjacent statute in Texas that is like up in the air of whether it'll even be enforced anymore because of there's just these cracks in the system. So it takes something like Stalking Awareness Month, speakers like Debbie, organizations like Spark, keeping this front of mind. And I think that's why we wanted to cover this. And uh, and in part two, we'll get all more into like stalking laws and things like mm-hmm. that. But you just see time, incident by incident by incident with Peggy is that she fell into this crack, that she did what she was supposed to do. But then somebody else didn't do what they were supposed yeah. to do, whether it's the prosecutor, the uh, the law enforcement in New Mexico, law enforcement in California, whatever, that it was just missed over and over again. And we see in part two, when you miss that stuff, it is deadly. And it's not mm-hmm. just Peggy. The statistics are there. Yeah. So many people failed her. The legal system failed her. She kept falling through the cracks on their watch. But the people that would not fail her and let her fall through the cracks was her family and her sister. her sister, Debbie, has become a huge spokesperson, her biggest advocate to share her sister's story and yeah. um, and allow her legacy to hopefully be able to reach people and pass laws, pass bills, and just share her story so it hopefully doesn't continue to happen. And mm-hmm. to be able to... Um, 20 years later, talk about it as, as Debbie does at, I mean, she'll talk about it with everyone and she wants to spread the awareness. It's just the love of a sister, you know, it's incredible. We've seen so many cases where law enforcement fails the victim and the family is the mm-hmm. one that steps in and is like, well, I'm not going to ever forget them. Ryan Ferguson, his dad yeah. is the reason he got out. Yeah. You know, I mean, Amy Bradley, her family is still fighting for mm-hmm. her because law enforcement won't. There's uh, Ellen Greenberg, you know, yeah, I mean, her mom and dad. Yeah. And you see, too, that the family can't. It's like in a way they are processing the grief, but they are also the rest of us who have lost loved ones in different ways have a, a I won't say an easier path, but a different path towards grief whereas you've now been given an assignment it is an assignment yeah. i'm sure that they do with great passion and gusto but you see like we talked with jennifer and andrea from uh the hero maker of like that ripple effect of a crime mm-hmm. of like patrick terrorized peggy the most but also he terrorized her whole family yeah her friends and the, her the boyfriend good, yeah but the the you you all will be uh blown away i think when you hear our interview with uh debbie not not because we did anything but because debbie and, and dana are incredible on their own but Please listen to that. That's going to be dropping tomorrow. Yes. And then uh, and in part two, we're, we'll discuss kind of how the story here ends. But then from there, the development, what's not covered in the interview with Debbie and Dana is kind of the development of stocking laws and, and where they are now and the issues that, that we're still facing and trying to enforce them in part yeah. two. So tune in for that.
If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of content. We recently did a monthly Q&A, oh, which is yeah. now available to rewatch. And then <laughs> at the end of this month on the 31st, we have our bonus content live stream that we will be doing. And I haven't checked the polls lately. Has Heather Saves won? Heather are we Saves officially has a, doing Heather Saves? Yeah, the polls are open until January 26th. So if you still hear this, you head over to patreon.com slash sinisterhood and you can vote. We have a uh, Judge Christie docket for listener uh, submitted grievances. We also have possible hypothetical situations or Heather Saves, which it's not all UFO videos, but it includes <laughs> some of them. But mostly. <laughs> um, and yeah, definitely check out the, uh, the Q&A replay because, I mean, I had to take this like weird offensive uh, moon off of my desk to film a serious episode. Uh, but if you want to know the story behind that, go check out uh, our live Q&A. We also dropped a True Crime Headlines recently where we discussed Rex Hurman and the Gilgo Beach for uh, what's going on with that. And we'll probably have another True Crime Headlines coming up soon here because like there's it's there's too many headlines all the time. There's an update in Corey Richens. There's some with Scott Peterson and the LA Innocence Project. So folks have been asking us to cover that. And Your Honor, I have a docket prepared for you for our bonus content this oh. week. Oh, as well. You. So go over and uh, check those out. And for recent patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show and make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. Head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. And we have some deals going over on our TikTok shop as well, so be, be sure to head over there to see what kind of discounts, deals, and uh, whatnot's there, plus our fun videos. While you're on our website, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for sources used during our research. You'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Find video versions of our episodes at YouTube.com slash Sinisterhood Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. It's totally free to subscribe on, you subscribe on YouTube and you get alerts whenever we have new videos. And check out our TikTok. You can also order custom video shoutouts on Cameo. We can say happy birthday, happy Valentine's, happy Galentine's, or anything like that at Cameo cameo.com let us deliver a message for you and where can people we find have costumes we have costumes <laughs> we have props i could have the weird although moon <laughs> i have i have some sad news what happened pedal ate the wizard's hat <laughs> oh no i left it on the ground outside well that's our fault and she i guess um cast a spell that said not today and <laughs> chewed it up uh-oh. Well, we will not be wearing the remnants of the wizard's hat when it comes out of her, but we have another separate wizard hat and a crown and all kinds of things. So go to cameo.com and let us know what you want us to include in your video. Christy, where are you at online? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm on everything at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout-outs. Tyler W. James Eugenio. Christina. Sarah Fagus. Marissa Moreno. Caitlin Jarman. Kathleen Hansen. Heather Bauer. Valerie. Joy Toon. Courtney's Chain of Business. Love Eyelid. L. Duncan. Madeline Gray. Taylor. Knox. Sarah Carmaines. Akimi. Michelle McCormick. 
Allison Quick, Kristen M, Abby Borden, Shalee S, Kaylee Zion, Adrian Big Purple Bitch Chavez, Lily, and Rachel Rosenstein. Thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. We could not do this without you. We sincerely love and appreciate every single one of you. We hope you pronounced your names correctly. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Bah ha ha ha.